Morning, everyone. It's uh, it's great pleasure to be back with you uh, here in Orangefield. It's a couple of years, a few years since I've since I've been here, but it's it's pleasure pleasure to be back again. And thank you, Gary, for your welcome. Well, sort of. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, sort of a formal welcome. You really have to do, don't you? you? You can't really get away without doing it. So not really thank you for, for that, Gary, because you had to do that. But thank you for the welcome. That's simply being here for folk saying, nice to see you. For folk helping me out to get everything put together. Just for, for making me feel at, at home. Thank you very much. I'd like to read to you from Luke chapter 16. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 16 from verses 19 to 31. So I'd like to read that to you now. And I think, is it coming up on the screen? Yep, Luke 16, 19 to 31. The story of the rich man and Lazarus. We remember as we, as we read this that God himself speaks to us when we read scripture. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received the good thing while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and, and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, And then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let them warm them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abram replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced. Even if someone rises from the dead. And we thank God for these solemn words that we've read together this morning. I like to give my sermons titles. And the title for today's sermon is Pay Attention! 
I scared myself there. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> but that, that actually is really, I, I think, a good title for what uh, Jesus is saying here. It's a parable that says you have to listen to this. Now, that, that's not a gesture I often use when I'm preaching because that, that's it's a very harsh gesture. You know, it's a, it's a sort of scoldy sort of gesture, isn't it? But perhaps it's appropriate for this one because Jesus in this parable says, pay attention. Well, what do we pay attention to? If we start at the beginning of the parable, we can maybe start to answer that question. And we start looking at, at, at the rich man. But rather than looking at the rich man directly, he, he's meant to reflect us, or to reflect many of us. And in, in a congregation like my home congregation in Bloomfield, or like Orangefield, or many other PCI congregations, we're pretty much more on the, Lazar- on the uh, rich man's side than on the Lazarus side. So, what do we pay attention to? What, what do we pay attention to in our lives? Can I make some suggestions to you? Um, we pay attention to stuff. We like stuff. Um, if you were to come to our house and uh, I would say to you, what about a cup of coffee? And you'd say, that's great, Drew. I would then have to choose between five different ways of making coffee. There's only three of them there, of course. There are two others. We have five different ways of making coffee. Do I need five different ways of making coffee? No, of course not. When we think of affluence, what do we normally think of? Well, the standard preacher's illustrations are uh, cars and houses. What about towels? (laughs) Because I opened the, the hot press, and if the towels had all fallen out on me, I'd have been killed in the avalanche. <laughs> this is really embarrassing. If I, am I the only one with a stack of towels, more towels than we need? More towels than we can probably ever use. We have towels that we got as wedding presents in 1983 that aren't open yet. Affluence. You can, you can think, of, think of your own uh, illustrations. I read a book recently called Stuffocation. You see the play on words there? Yeah? Stuffocation. Now, it didn't actually say what I thought it was going to say. And it leads me on to the next thing that people often are more interested in than stuff these days. Because it seems that many of us actually underneath it all are saying, you know, I've got enough stuff. I do. But what are many people searching for today and really paying attention to if it's not stuff? Interestingly, it's experiences. We love experiences. New experiences, doing new things, doing exciting things, things we haven't done before. Even something like bungee jumping is now a bit old hat. Look, anybody bungee jumped? Anybody? Ah, get out there and go for it. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant, so I'm told. <laughs> this is my favourite 
uh, if you just Google extreme ironing, <laughs> Google extreme ironing, this is just, just one example of it. But very often now when we go on holidays, we go for experiences on holidays. Maybe it's a simple experience of a golfing holiday or a trek through the jungle or rock climbing in the Andes. But we tend to, and young people especially, are saying, no, stuff's okay, but experience is what it's all about. Third thing we we pay attention to is image. We care about what we look like, and we pay a lot of attention to it. Uh, I'm offering five points for who that is. Anybody? Jodie Marsh. Name ring any bells? Uh, You're obviously not as cool as I am. (laughs) an attractive woman a beautiful woman but not content with how she looked here's another name that that you may be familiar with Gianni Versace yeah ring a few bells okay for 10 points his sister's name Donatella Versace just google Donatella Versace again an attractive woman, have a look at what she's done to herself with plastic surgery. We care about how we look. We pay a lot of attention to how we look, don't we? I've counted the number of ways in which we can buy coffee in in, um, uh, Tesco's. I, I remember telling you about that donkey's years ago when I was here. Have a go yourself. Count the number of different beauty products on sale in Tesco's. I guess there must be a thousand more. We care about our image. Of course, we care about status. We care about what people think of us. Image is how we present ourselves. Status is how other people think of us. And that can be the motor that we drive Or it can be the other form of status that that we're more familiar with. Maybe young people are more familiar with. We care about that. We care about making sure that everybody knows we're just that little bit better. Or just that little bit cleverer. Or just that little bit whatever more than others. Things that we pay attention to. Uh, I have a, a student... Uh, doing a dissertation uh, at the minute or just about to start a dissertation on social media and he's come across the term iGods you know, iPads and i this and and i that i that iGods is an interesting one because it's a great way of putting a thoroughly biblical word anybody know the biblical word that we could well translate as iGods idol, it's the word idol When you see idol in the Old Testament, I God, I this, and that. Because the stuff that we pay attention to, whether it's stuff itself, or image, or status, or experience, or anything else, the parable here is saying to us, this is where your heart is. This is what you love. And this will determine your future. I look back to my school days with some horror because I was probably in my second year of theology 
uh, having gone, gone through O-levels and A-levels and a degree in, in science, I was probably in my second year in theology, before I learned that, you know, studying probably works. And you can actually enjoy this studying thing. It never really struck me at school because I was much more interested in what I was doing in Orangefield Park. That was playing football, by the way. <laughs> it only struck me when I said it that it could be differently interpreted. <laughs> I, was, I was playing football in Orangefield Park that, that I wasn't studying. So where my heart was was determining where my life was going. I had enough native intelligence to get through without studying, but it all fell apart And then I realized my heart really needs to be somewhere else. What do we pay attention to? The parable also begins to to give an answer to that question of what the rich man didn't pay attention to, but he should have. Okay? That's the whole purpose of the parable, isn't it? And again, you don't need to have gone through three years of theological education and postgraduate work and be a minister for donkey's years to know where the parable is going. So what should he have paid attention to? Or rather, whom should he have paid attention to? To whom should he have paid attention? Yeah, well, of course, it was the one from whom he turned his attention The question then, of course, is why should he have paid attention to Lazarus? What was the point? Well, let's pause on that for a few minutes. How should we pay attention to the poor man? What does it mean to pay attention to the poor? And I I want to say this without, um, without qualification for the time being. In evangelical circles, certainly that that is part of where I come from and where I am, and I guess where most, if not all of us are, and I I know where you are as a congregation, we tend to spiritualize this. And we tend to talk about spiritual poverty and spiritual wealth and move into that. Jesus doesn't do that here. He is genuinely talking about paying attention to poor people. And the implication of what he's saying here, and in other parts of of the New Testament as well, of course, and in the Old Testament, is that we should pay attention to poor people with generosity. Now, if we we had more time, I could take you back into the Old Testament and walk you through parts of, of Deuteronomy, parts of the law. Because in Deuteronomy, we find a number of very interesting things about how society was structured. In Deuteronomy 15, for example, you can have a look at verse 11, you can see how society is structured in a way that generosity towards the poor is built into the fabric of society. Throughout that whole chapter, there's a clear um, intention to make sure that poor people are well treated. So, for example, when there are celebrations spiritual celebrations, when the community is getting together, tithes are being brought to the temple, feasting is being uh, engaged in. The poor are to be invited to this as well. They're to make sure that the poor are included. We're to be generous in inviting the poor 
to share the riches that we have. So he should have been generous as he uh, engaged with the poor. But the second one is this. He should have been absolutely livid. I'm old enough now, and many of us are old enough now, to be really annoyed with young people. It's just one of the great pleasures of being older, isn't it? You just just get to be really annoyed with young people. It's fantastic. And they even pay me to get annoyed with young people uh, at at college. And (laughs) I I, I think back to, to maybe in the 60s and perhaps into the 70s, certainly in the late 60s, you could have been quite sure that university students were out on the streets. And they were demanding things like, wage equality and equality um, for people uh, under government legislation. Locally it was equality in housing. You may remember remember the days of great student demonstrations and in Paris for example and in the United States huge student demonstrations about inequality. Students get just as angry today if the coffee isn't what it should be or if they haven't got their results back within 24 hours. I'm sorry that students aren't out on the streets demonstrating because of social inequalities. And I'm sorry that I and my peers aren't out on the streets demonstrating because of social inequalities. The Old Testament law was livid when people were livid with those who twisted the law to make it favor the rich. You can see a rant coming here. I'll be disciplined and not. Have a rant yourself. Look at the way our society is structured. Look at how things are done. Look at government legislation and ask yourself, really, is this structured towards the benefit of those who have or those who don't have? And I recognize that it's more subtle than that. And I recognize that there are reasons why people are poor that are never going to be covered by legislation. Those were true in Jesus' day as well. Those were true in Moses' day for Deuteronomy. They were there just as much as today. So we should pay attention to the poor man with generosity, with rage, but also with open welcome. So that as we go about our lives... We're willing to just spend a bit of time talking with someone. We're willing to make a bit of an effort to embrace people. Oh, can I go on a slightly different line here for a minute? Because when Jesus is talking about poverty, when the Old Testament is talking about poverty, they also included people who weren't necessarily materially poor. They included the widow, the orphan, and most interestingly of all, the alien, the outsider, the one who wasn't part of us. My, my favorite experience of that is being with some folk standing overlooking a lake and a speedboat came close and, and uh, pulled in at a little jetty. And a couple of folk, four folk got out and um, it was very hot and the, the men were, were wearing uh, shorts and vests, and the women were wearing very skimpy um, shorts and bikini tops 
and they were loud and they were carrying a couple of things of beer between them and my, my friend leaned over and said NQOTD and I thought what does that mean and I said what does that mean and she said not quite our type darling I was years and years and years and years ago. I remember that. Do we have time to welcome those who are not quite our type? Who aren't quite as, well, maybe wealthy as we are. Aren't quite as clever as we are. Aren't quite as socially aware as we are. Because of their illness. Who are just that bit awkward. Who aren't as cool as we are have we that generous welcome that embraces yeah yeah so we should pay attention to those who are aliens those who are outside those who are poor those who aren't quite part of the group that we are part of here's an interesting one it was really in Latin America in the 50s into 60s that a new, a new theological movement began to arise that became known as liberation theology that rediscovered a biblical truth that Jesus is pointing to here and again in many other places. Especially when Jesus himself says that, that rather strange thing that Luke quotes when Jesus says, Blessed are yeah, the poor. Now, Matthew, sort of, Jesus obviously used the phrase a couple of times. Matthew records another instance when Jesus used it. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we get that. We love that. We embrace that. Luke's version of it, we don't embrace quite so easily. When Jesus simply says, blessed are the poor. For they have a particular relationship with God. And the kingdom of heaven comes to them in a particular way. And that's the same group that we were just talking about. Those who are alienated. Those who are outside. Those who are um, weak. Those who can't cope with life. Those who aren't strong financially. Those who are NQOTD. Jesus seems to be saying, listen to them, because they've got something special to say to you. Is it because they're holier than the rest of us? Well, no, not necessarily. Is it because they pray more? Well, no, not necessarily that either. Well, what is it? Can I leave that with you? Can I give you that as homework? Why should we listen to the outsider? What have they got to say to us? Later on, we come towards the end of the parable, and we see a couple of other things that he didn't pay attention to. He says to Abraham, Abraham, can you send someone to warn my brothers? And Abraham says, Sorry. They've already got something to warn them. And the implication of what Abraham says, of course, is that they're not going to listen to it. How do I know that? Well, you didn't listen to the law and the prophets. 
Is there any more hope that they're going to listen to the law and the prophets? He didn't pay attention to, to Scripture. Just a couple of things briefly that Scripture says. I, I, I realize my time's going, so I'm just going to float over this. To deny social justice is to deny what we are as humans. Again, we're in the law here. The Old Testament quite clearly says that we are created in the image of God. We are like God. God is Trinity. God is that, that divine community. There is no outsider in God, if I can put it like that. And if we are created in God's image, then we are created to be community. And we should not push people outside. We pay attention to those who are outside to bring them in because that's how we're constructed as human beings. Why does our society begin to fall apart? Curiously. Or not so curiously, perhaps. It's because we push people away. People who we don't like. People who aren't NQOTD. And we wonder why society falls apart. We're constructed to be together. And of course, we're redeemed to be together as well. How did God put his plan of redemption into place 2,000 years ago? How did he do it? He became poor. Strange old world, isn't it? That God himself became poor. So to deny a place in our thinking and in our living for the poor man is to deny God's way of bringing redemption. This is strange stuff. It's not just about my internal life, my internal relationship with God, my quiet time, my worship, my study. It's about having a breadth of understanding of Jesus that reaches out and says, come on, let's all be in this together. Whatever our differences And to deny social justice is to deny our faith. Simple as that. Because that's what the Bible says. And just a quick reminder, if it's drifting away from you, to deny social justice is to deny ourselves. I simply put that in as a wee reminder to say again, if, if you don't get it, let me say it again. Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Jesus became poor. The whole of the Old Testament says, look at the poor. They have something to tell you. The prophets scolded Israel regularly. Why? Because of idolatry? Sure. But because they also abused the poor. Simple stuff. It's not rocket science. But then, of course, if it was just a matter of social justice, we could end there. But the whole of the parable is set in a context, isn't it? It's not a sermon about social justice. It's a parable that says, live this way, and there's only one place waiting for you, and it's not a good place. If this is what you give your attention to, if this is where your heart is, to use another uh, phrase of Jesus... Well, then there's only one place that you're heading to because that's the place that you love. In effect, that's where you want yourself to head. 
And the whole core of this parable is that after death, there is judgment. And that God himself will make that judgment. And his judgment will be perfect. And he will make no mistakes. And he will say, you chose that your heart would be there. You demonstrated it clearly by how you lived. I'm sorry. There's only one consequence for that. Simple. Even if someone comes from the dead, they won't pay attention. Actually, the first people who heard Jesus say that wouldn't have thought of of Jesus being resurrected. They would have thought of something in the Old Testament, perhaps. Someone coming from the dead to speak. Samuel coming to speak to Saul uh, as as part of a vision. There are other examples of it uh, as well. Maybe they might have thought of the um, widow of Nain's uh, son who was raised from the dead, or Lazarus. Had Lazarus been raised from the dead at this time when, when Jesus is speaking? Is, is, is this why Jesus uses Lazarus' name? Is he, is he playing some sort of word games here? Could be. But they certainly wouldn't have thought of Jesus being resurrected. But we... know that he was the one who wrote the law. He was the one who inspired the prophets. He was the one who knows that death is not the end. Curiously, curiously, the rich man's request was granted in an odd way, wasn't it? that somehow his brothers could be warned. Strangely, someone did come back from the dead. Yeah. And so the simple question that takes us right back to the beginning. Can I, can I thump the pulpit again just once? And Jesus says, Pay attention. To the poor, to the alienated, to the outsider, to the scriptures, to me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you have placed us in a very, very lovely place. This part of this city this part of this province, this part of this island. You've given us so many very good things and we bless you for them. And we pray that our attention might, be not, might not be so diverted to those things, those experiences, might not be so diverted to ourselves or to those who are just like us. We pray that our attention might be drawn to the outsider drawn to the one who doesn't fit in, drawn to the one who needs us, drawn to the one through whom you can speak in fresh new ways. May we give our attention to your word as well. And above all, gracious God, may we see Jesus, 
may it be so.